پشکن You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Your mom left the South Side of Chicago. She lives with you now in New Jersey. Yeah, and but, but but more more specifically, like she didn't just leave. Uh, she purchased a handgun a couple of years yeah. ago because she wasn't feeling safe. Yeah, yeah, and and that's someone who should not be. She's got a <laughs> shaky hand. I know she should not be wielding a gun. Yeah. So when she told me this, I was like, "Mom, you have to move here. Like, yeah. if it's come to that, like Chicago needs another handgun on the street, right? Mm-hmm. So if it comes to that, then it's time for you to come be with us." I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black, one white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is some of my best friends are. In this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities of a deeply divided and unequal country. In today's episode, we talk about violence and it's personal. We're talking about our hometown. We're talking about our neighborhood. We're talking about the most spectacular instances of gun violence. We're worried. We're worried about uh, overcorrecting or going back to business as usual, that somehow policing is going to solve this all on its own. And ultimately, we have solutions that will actually fix these problems and has very little to do actually with law enforcement. So, hey, man, we haven't really talked about this, but, uh, I mean, Hyde Park, our home neighborhood, has experienced unprecedented violence collapsing in one day. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, what's going yeah. on now? What's the response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 
I mean, there was a day where there was a, a shooting with automatic gunfire in Harper yeah. Court. There was a murder of a University of Chicago student and a murder, a stabbing of a man in a domestic situation. I don't even know much more about it. And yeah. it's really scary. I mean, people are scared. There, there's, you know, the loss of life and, and then thinking about, you know, for, for me and I think for you too, like, uh, how do well, you I'm, feel I'm safe? But also, guys, yeah. but yeah. also the fear that there's going to be some response that is going to be like more policing and it's going to cause, it's going to cause other problems. Like I'm scared of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from my mom who I've gotten a lot of reports on, she's watching. Yeah. This I see I see her daily. on social media every day uh, talking about it. So yeah, I mean, she, she and I have basically been having an ongoing conversation uh, about it because she's getting news stories. She's talking to people who live in Chicago, live in your neighborhood. Uh, and I'm really concerned not only about, you know, how, how people experience uh, what's happened, but also what comes next. Yeah. You know, people in a moment like this decide to pack up and leave. Like it's an existential moment. You know, people are like, I've had enough. Yeah. And yeah. This, is what, this is what destroys communities. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll tell you that I have neighbors who were like, is this the breaking point? Is it, should we leave? And yeah. I hate hearing that. I hate it. I mean, and I know, I know that, that people you know, that we have to have really honest discussions about crime and safety. But, you know, I feel committed to this city and to this neighborhood. And so there's something so destructive well, it, for me. It's also, I think what I'm most interested in talking to you about today is exactly how this moment opens up possibilities that we haven't really done before. And or in thinking about the summer of George Floyd and everything that came and the you know, the possibilities of really understanding the relationship of, of social justice and policing, you know, yeah, like yeah, this is the moment, this is the moment to test our mettle, right? Yeah. To see, yeah, because, to see because what, there we're, were, there, what we're willing to do. There are responses to crime. And in a moment like this, they're almost predictable, more policing. But we want to talk about, you know, what are the other responses? What are other responses that, that are better? So let, let's go to Hyde Park. Let's look exactly at what happened there. And let's look at the responses. I've interviewed many successful people over the years. And one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com/slash now. 
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Yeah, so I called up Sophia King, who is my local alderman. So Sophia, I'm recording. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, good. She's good people. And I just saw her when I was there a couple yeah, weeks ago when here. I visited town. I saw her. And I wanted to hear what happened from her perspective. There were at least, I think, 27 shell casings found, uh, which, you know, again, just underscores the brazenness of it. And, and so we're, we're pulling into, onto Harper right now, coming, right. From, coming from Kenwood. And this is our route, essentially, every day for lunch, you know, Kenwood kids. Right. I mean, and until so at noon... You know, it's it's a busy um, street, and and it's right in the middle of the day in downtown Hyde Park, um, and yeah, uh, it could have been a mass murder. And also get a better sense of what the responses have been, because she's been in hundreds of meetings since then with concerned, yeah. you know, what every the, the stakeholders as we call them, right? People are calling for more policing you know my response is is that um this is also an opportunity to have alternative policing like the neighbors the the store owners the the university of chicago as you probably have heard um the kilman's owner you know it was a traumatic experience um for her and her employees who you know um luckily weren't in the windows that were shot out uh but you know in that regard it was traumatic and, and people were hurt her business is is still closed they're scared and they want to know they want to know what to do about this crime and they want to know what she's going to do because you know cr- a crime occurs and then what is the proper response i mean that's what we're where you and i are always talking about this right you know, I just want to make sure that there's the appropriate response. And think. And speaking of, you know, appropriate uh, policing, there are other avenues. And she's a neighbor, too. And I know that she's experiencing this in a, in a real way. That, you know, I, I'm friends right. with her and I've known her for years. But I know that she's also on the block driving around, has some of the same concerns that Danielle, my wife, has and also that I have. Do you, do you feel le- less safe? Are you taking more precautions? No, I do. I do feel less safe. I, I, gosh, I come out of my, my uh, parking, um, I'm out of my garage, and I'm turning my head and because going. You've had friends on your block. Yes, I've who had are friends. I've yeah. had my good friends who were carjacked, and 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 it's very traumatic for them. It's traumatic for me to 
know that that happened and to know how they feel. And, and, and it's hard to internalize it. You and I are constantly talking about, about over-policing and also about responses to crime and about the criminal justice system. And so here we are in our neighborhood where I live and where you grew up and where your mom just left. Um, and there's this crime that occurs. And what are, how do you respond to it in the short term, in the long term? What do you do to, to make people feel more safe and then you know, not make things worse at the same time? Yeah. I mean, so here we are, right? Where we're, we are, uh, what are we, a year and a half we're, we're a year and a half. What are we? I, th- I thought you were going to say we are two leading experts yeah. on criminal justice system. <laughs> we're a year and a half since the, the massive protests following the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor by police officers mm-hmm. and, and, and widespread calls for defund the police. And, and, you know, then when crime occurs, when it occurs in Chicago, when it occurs all over the country, people return to this sense of like, well, shit, we must need more policing. You know, forget defund. We need actually more policing because that's what's going to keep us safe. That there is still this fallback to to the kind of status quo sensibility of of public safety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would I would put it a little differently. I would say that while while it's certainly true, we've seen news reports of refund. Almost every city that promised some kind of cut has put a lot of that money back uh, in cities all over the country. Um, I would say that. Part of what I'm sensing uh, from the conversations that are happening on social media about what's happening in Chicago and even sort of watching the New York City mayoral race here is that there's this sense that the uptick in violence requires uh, an immediate response, like somehow the protests unleashed a sense of entitlement to the streets, that lawlessness has just sort of taken advantage. My mom even used the word like this is a these are people who are doing things out of opportunity. Um, and that somehow like a tourniquet, there needs to be some immediate response to stop the bleeding. And then we can get back to these bigger questions. And I think and I think that's the kind of the tension. That's certainly the tension I feel in my own household talking about this, but it's it's also the tension I think I feel when I'm listening to people you know, who have have a more complicated response to this than just the old law yeah. and order stuff from back in the day. And I'm wondering, what does Sophia say about this? How does she balance this tension and awareness of like the, the consequences of kind of going back to a much more vigorous police presence? Yeah, I mean, Sophia is complicated. She's the head of the Progressive Caucus in the city council. She does ask for things like alternative forms of policing. She asks for funding for you know, housing and schools. But she also wants boots mm-hmm. on the ground. She wants more police officers. Yeah. Sophia, in a way, is, is going to be held accountable for this. Right. She's directly responsible. If people feel unsafe, someone's going to run against her and say, I'm the safety candidate. Right. And so she has to respond to this. I think we should move towards those ideals, uh, but keep some real boots on the ground. That's, that's the reality. So, so like I said, I, I think we need more presence, um, and police is part of that. I also think you know, positive loitering and having a bustling and hustling uh, business is a part of it. But you're right. Um, you know, these are crimes of opportunity where there's not much you know, somebody could do. I mean, one of the one of the reasons I think we decided to have a bigger conversation about it happening here in Hyde Park is that like 
I'm experiencing that need for an immediate response. Mm -hmm. This is the community where, where we live, you know? So this is real for my family. So Lysia, my daughter, who is 16, still walks to and from school. And now that it's, you know, now that it's winter, it's dark when she comes back. And every day after school, mm -hmm. she likes to stop by the Medici, this this uh, restaurant and get, you know, like a baguette. Our favorite, our favorite pizza place yeah. back yeah. in the but, day, but, yeah. But she, her, her friends have been told that they're not allowed to go out with her. Not because she's a bad influence. Really? Or maybe that is the reason, I don't know. <laughs> no. But, <laughs> uh, but because the parents are worried about crime and they can't be out when it's after school or, or walk around. Okay, so this, this, is a, this is a totally new thing in response to the shootings that happened in, in Hyde Park re most recently. This is, this is right now. Yeah, happening. right now happening. I mean, she has one friend okay. who, this is, you know, I heard this secondhand from a 16-year-old, so <laughs> take, it, take mm -hmm. it like that. But uh, <laughs> who she was told that she can't sit in the front of their, of their home. Uh, that's facing the oh, street wow. because they're worried about stray gunfire. Wow. I mean, that's real, right? In every possible way. And and, and people do get killed uh, randomly and oftentimes kids. But like, this is this is our neighborhood. Yeah. Like, it's a very middle class, upper income community. And so the thought that that's the advice now in Hyde Park is really wild. And, you know, I have talks with her about not being the low hanging fruit, about not walking with her phone out and looking at her phone that there have been a lot of robberies of people just pulling up and, and jumping people and taking their phones, and often with guns, you know, saying, give me what you, what you have. And so I tell her not to be that person who is with, with her head down in a phone and looks like an easy target. Yeah. I, I went to um, a meeting of the Chamber of Commerce. I did this on Zoom. And all the store owners from the neighborhood were like, they wanted to know what to do. And it wasn't like they were all demanding more police, but they were like, what do we do to feel safe? You know, sh should we have cameras? Right. Should we have drones? Should we like, you know, should there be security guards? Like they wanted something. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, just to add to that, I, I also read an open letter written by something like 300 faculty members at the University of Chicago in response to the killing of a Chinese national yeah. student. So the student, the student who was robbed, um, uh, the student was, was a Chinese national student yeah. who was here in the neighborhood. And he's he's the third University of Chicago student killed this year and the second one who is an international student. Yeah, yeah. And and in that letter, and a couple things jumped out, I mean, to this point about how do you respond. I mean, there was like literally a call for surveillance cameras, and this is not an exaggeration, on every intersection um, in, in Hyde Park. And... While they didn't quite say cops on every corner, they did say security guards on every corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, could, I can certainly understand it because the stakes of what that very significant response might mean in terms of delivering public safety cut against the other problems, which gave rise to police reform debates, which is what happens when you over-police a community and everyone's treated like a suspect, especially if they happen to be black and brown. Like, this is where I think my mom and those faculty members at the UFC are probably not that far apart, right? Yeah. Uh, because there is this sense, like, you have to do something in the moment. You have to do something now yeah. to lock it down. That's exactly right. I'm really interested, maybe not so much in alternative policing, uh -oh. but I want to talk about alternatives to policing. That's it. That's it. I think, Say it. 
So let's 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 talk about safety and justice and what that looks like without policing. Yes, safety and justice without policing. Well put. That's right, because pe- people want those things, but they're having a hard time trying to get there without police playing a big role. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Yo, so Khalil, in the aftermath of the shooting in Hyde Park, the murder in Hyde Park, I guess, you know, the robbery and killing and another stabbing murder in Hyde Park all in one day and the general uptick in crime that's been going on. Everywhere, right? Yeah. One of the things that's been real clear to me is just like people need some kind of response to it. And they they need a sense of safety and that could come in all sorts of forms. There's that demand for a sense of accountability or writing the moral... Right balance and yeah here here in Hyde Park after those crimes what was offered was more policing yeah a lot a, a <laughs> lot more cops right I mean my mom the other night over dinner she looked at me and she was like you know this is terrible um you know she mentioned Donald Trump's call for the National Guard a few years ago and, and said something to the effect of like you know maybe Donald Trump was right about that, right for the wrong reasons, because he really didn't care about Chicago. But maybe since the police are failing, the National Guard can do better. Yeah. yeah. And she said it in a way that she's like, and I know you don't agree. Hmm. Um, 
but she was also daring me to have a better response. Yeah. Um, I think I might have told you this. I'm not sure. But, you know, my brother, Jake, who runs a music venue in the neighborhood, just just a block from where that shooting happened. Yeah, yeah. The Promontory. The Promontory. The Friday after the shooting, he was having uh, a show there, a concert that happened to be a rap act, you know. And the police essentially showed up and were like, nah, nah, if you have this show and and anything happens anywhere in the neighborhood at any time afterward, we're going to hold you accountable. And so he had to postpone the show. Is that even lawful? <laughs> I mean, for real, though. I mean, I, I mean this in, in, in asking that question is just a little tip of the spear of where the slippery slope ends up. So, I mean, just to, just to kind of put a put a pin on this point. So, you know, this is in many ways hotspot policing as the entire neighborhood of Hyde Park. This is basically the idea that you have a hotspot, right? An area where we've identified a lot of crime happening in a concentrated space. And in the tradition of hotspot policing that's been going on for about 25 years, now this community, our community, which hasn't really experienced this level of intensified spectacular violence, now is saying we want all these things that we've tried in what's called high crime areas that are often low income communities, often with black and brown. So that's what's been presented here. Let's you and I talk about some other alternatives to policing, not alternative policing, but alternatives to policing. Right. We know, to your point, like we know that the menu of options is actually much greater than what we're even hearing in our own home community. All right. So let's let's run through it. Let's run through the menu. That's right. Uh, Let's call these the shovel ready immediate responses. Um, okay. Ding, ding, ding. We right. got shovel ready immediate responses. No, <laughs> because when, <laughs> you, like that. When, when you think about opportunity out of crisis, um, you think about like what's on the shelf that we can, we can mobilize at this moment. And maybe we hardwired as a long-term fix. Uh, it's so I'm going to throw out one first. Okay. Go for it. Violence interruption. Yes. Yes. I think, I think in fact, uh, if, if we were playing a version of, uh, a family feud, that would be the number one answer. Why is that the case? Because the the very concept of putting uh, people who already live in a community in charge of conflict mediation, who have trustworthy relationships with members of the community, who can go to them and say, hey, I've got a problem with so-and-so, and if someone doesn't help me fix it, you know, there's going to be there's going to be drama. There's going to be violence, and we need to figure out a way to stop this before it happens. And this is yeah. a 20 year old proven approach to violence uh, mediation, and it's it's working in Chicago. It's working in Baltimore. It's working in New York City. I've seen it up close That's with right. my own eyes, um, and it's been discussed uh, in in some ways nationally but, at but, various but times. not enough but, but not nowhere enough. Near enough yeah I mean so we have to invest hugely in community violence interruption it's proven it's empirically strong and it works okay so second on the menu so the 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 fact yep. is that about probably more than ninety percent of what police respond to are nonviolent offenses and so the, the that's right and and sometimes the numbers are as low as five yeah. percent I mean. In terms of what they actually record calls for service, right? That's the data we have for uh, when police actually are responding to someone, member of the public saying, I need help. About 5% or less of those often are 
for something that we call violence. So, so there's another solution, which is that for first responders to mental health crises, to homelessness cases, to many drug cases, to even traffic stops, you could send people who are experts in those and who are not armed police officers. You can have you can have That's a different right. set of, of first responders. That's right. This is just about people who need yep. help. And in a society, particularly in communities that are starved for resources, there just isn't a whole lot of infrastructure if if you need help, if you've got somebody in distress, uh, if you need, I mean, I know in our own suburban community, police officers literally, I mean, like the old classic case of my cat crawled up into a tree. Could you help get my cat out of the tree? Um, I know this for a fact because we've, I've been at meetings where people have talked about how ridiculous it is that the police have to do this yeah, kind of but thing. But, you know, when, when people talk about defund, if there's a limited uh, pool of money, <laughs> that more of that right. money would go to these alternatives these other responders right. rather than to armed police officers to take on these cases, which they have not been trained in many cases to do, almost in all cases. Right, They're right. not mental health experts. They're not social service workers, those kinds that, of things. That's right. And so and this, that, is, just, this is something that's also been, been done in cities and states across the country. Yes, yes. A third thing on the menu is something that actually some of my neighbors brought up here in, in response to the recent spate of crime, and that's having more positive loitering. So, you know, one of my neighbors talked about having ambassadors going out on the street and definitely not a community watch and definitely not something to call the police on people, but just to be present on corners and to meet people and to build community. This is something that also happens in Englewood, the neighborhood where we we discussed in the episode with Tanika Johnson. Fighting inequities through art, yes. Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are a group of mothers that hang out on corners on, on Fridays and Saturday nights to make sure that, that violence doesn't happen. This right. is a way to build community and, and to strengthen the bonds in, in, in different neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, this, the sociologists call this collective efficacy. And, uh, and some of my own colleagues have written a lot about this. Uh, basically, communities that have thriving nonprofit organizations that are doing art activities, that are doing youth-based activities, where there's just a lot of rich social engagement and that it often is taking place in public spaces, often is not just a deterrent to crimes of opportunity, but also is, is a sign of community well-being and, and yeah. it's kind of a virtuous cycle. So, you know, we presented these ideas but none of them are really going to get us to like, you know, deeper structural changes. They're not going to get us there in terms of public safety. Right. You know, people have been out of work. They've been out of school. They've, they've seen the unequal responses to the pandemic. And this is on, you know, the tail end of police violence and foreclosure crisis and closed schools and closed hospitals and closed mental health facilities. And, you know, this idea that, you you treat the effect of all those causes, which is violence, the uptick in violence that we're seeing in Chicago and everywhere, and, and, and don't look at any of the causes. It seems crazy. Let's lean into this idea, like let's imagine government pushing and doing all the things we want. Let's imagine... Yeah. The structural changes. Yeah, you know, sounds so that, like Build Back Better, right? I yeah, mean, Build Back a, Better. A little bit tongue in cheek, but I mean, honestly, when, when we think about what an infrastructure, infrastructure. bill would yeah. mean that would be bottom up, would start with communities most in need of, 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 of resources, of jobs, of affordable housing, of Edu- education, know, of education, of a, treating of a clean, trauma of a clean, green economy. No, but all those things, 
those lead to public safety. Correct. That's how you exactly. fight crime. That's the way right. to fight crime is to invest in housing, to invest in education, to invest in health, to invest in trauma reduction. Universal health care, right? That, that is on the ticket of long-term solutions to helping people not need the police, right? So what this means, practically speaking, is these are actually the things that we ought to do in this yeah. moment, in Hyde yep. Park, in Inglewood, and other places. When we want to answer the question, what should we do to minimize the chance that people will use guns to settle differences, will act out in public by spraying up whole communities, and will feel the frustrations of their societies by taking them out on their loved ones when, when they don't have social service or mental health professionals to talk to first. These are the responses. I think we got to yeah. lean into that, right? We got to yeah, say, yeah. here Definitely. is your answer, right? And, and we need a lot more. And we need we, a lot more, right? And you know, all of those, like you said, are critical and they're incredibly useful. They're and not only useful, they work, right? They, they work. Stop, they stop the harm before mm -hmm. it happens at the point of the breakdown, right? When something's exactly. broken down. So, so if I'm, you know, I'm worried about crime in my neighborhood and I'm, I want something immediate and I'm, I'm scared right now. And, you know, two jokers on this podcast say, uh, well, you need big structural changes. You know, that sounds almost like pie in the sky stuff. It sounds like it'll never happen. It sounds impossible. And just, you know, hearing you talk and thinking about this made me think about the, the work that you do as a historian mm -hmm. and that, that these kinds of investments are not only possible, but it's proven that they lead to public safety, that they Dude, lead to uh, crime yeah. reduction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you for setting me up to talk about the condemnation of blackness. Oh, but, you know, huh. the short version of this is at a time in American short history. Version, when, short version. Short version. Yeah, when white people <laughs> were killing each other uh, on the streets of Chicago, our when, hometown. When are we talking about here? What, we're what, talking what about. We're talking about the early 20th century, the turn of the okay. 20th century with huge economic inequalities. White immigrants were struggling. They were subject to all kinds of racist attacks and stigma attached to them. Eventually, this got so bad that that prohibition was passed, you know, like ding, 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 massive okay. effort to lock yeah. up everybody having anything like, to do with alcohol distribution. Like a precursor to war on drugs. War on, precursor war on to war on, on drugs. Right. Yeah. Massive failure. It criminalized the massive numbers of low-income, working-class white people that were committing a lot of crime, to be sure. There was a lot of violence in those communities. But the social response so to So what it, was the response? What was the, the response? The social yeah. response was massive investments in those communities that led from the progressive era to the New Deal. They got, they got housing. They got economic security through, uh, through various rights as workers. We got uh, unemployment insurance. We got Social Security. They got access to the American dream with homes. We got police reform. Um, I mean, we could run down the list of all the things that most people know about as kind of yeah. the New Deal, the same stuff that is inspiring Build Back Better today and all kinds of infrastructure. But what people don't realize is a lot of that was absolutely a direct response to crime That's in right. white working class and immigrant communities. Yeah. And, and it, it was a massive crime solution response. A solution. And it worked. And it worked. So thank you for that, Professor. You're welcome. Uh, let's talk more about today, how we get structural change. Like how, yes. how can we possibly get this structural change that's going to lead to reduction in crime? And, and one of the ways we do it 
is through protest. Right. That's right. It is a key. I mean, man, you are you are on fire today. That's right. I know. I know. <laughs> hot, hot, hot. Yeah, of course. Right. No, no massive change in society happens without people in the streets demanding a change. demand. Demanding a demand change. Needs to be right. Made. People organize people to agree upon what it is that they want to see change. When have we seen this before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this gets us back to the summer of 2020 and all the protests. And, you know, after George Floyd is killed by police, Breonna Taylor is killed by police, Jacob yeah, Blake is yeah. killed by police. Yeah, like m- massive organizing to change society for the better. And then we get like crazy police crackdown and yeah. we get white self-deputized men like Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, yeah. like like literally a, a, as the response to the possibility of actually changing these things in a, in a, in a big structural way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we were recording uh, earlier and while we were recording, we got news of the verdict in his case, in Kyle Rittenhouse's case, that he was acquitted yeah. of all charges. Yeah, no, and, it, just, it was disturbing because we, <laughs> we were in the middle of talking about all of these issues. And yeah, and we were just sort of completely dumbfounded by it and and sort of overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is still hard to fathom that when Kyle Rittenhouse can be acquitted for arming himself to be willing to shoot protesters who are protesting for racial justice and an end to police brutality, that he doesn't symbolize a society writ large that privileges police power over protests. And... Yeah. And so to me, part of the challenge for us at this moment in, in taking stock of our own community, taking stock of where we are, is that a lot of good things are happening in spite of all of this. Yeah, it also prioritizes policing over healthcare and education and, and housing and, and all sorts of things that also, as we know, reduce crime. Yeah, or, or even back to like public health interventions, like all these other menu of choices keep falling prey to the immediate need to say we need policing. And yet in so many ways, as we've just talked about, it, it's not going to get us there. And, and in fact, it's a source of the problem. Yeah, it's easy to feel a lot of despair. I mean, sort of in the, you know, hearing the the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, uh, overwhelmed by crime. I've got neighbors who are talking about leaving Chicago. Yeah, yeah. You sent me that uh, Chicago Tribune report about like hundreds of thousands, 200 yeah, something thousand black people left 250,000 in the last 20 years, 260,000. Yeah, plus one, including, including my mom. 260,001. Right? <laughs> you know, it sucks. Right. Yeah. You shorty rough. You know, and, yeah. and, it's hard to think about these these big structural changes, you know. It's hard to to right. you know when when the crisis feels right now. But I got to say That's right. that there is a sign of progress from maybe from those protests from 2020. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. Right. Yeah. And maybe maybe you and I have to be more patient with people well, well, as well, yeah, they find fuck their patience. Way I mean like we have right. Yeah, we have to we have to keep <laughs> well, on no, making these points. Well, no, but I mean I mean so, like yeah. But I, right, but like making the case requires some degree of patience for people who have the, this existential sense of crisis. Like, 
I can't send my kid to school right yeah. now. Um, like let's see his friends. Like, you know, you have to come home immediately. Yeah. Like there there is that immediacy. And I think I think what we what we want to say in response, what we've said just now is that you can do yeah, both yeah. and. I mean, and that's like you need to you need to focus on the things we can do, which are these public health violence interruption responses, redirecting actual public resources towards the actual service providers, social workers who can take care of most of what people need, and make long-term investments in actually changing the conditions that produce and breed violence in the first place. You know, know, what you're saying is, I, I think, that Listen, we can't wait for some pie in the sky utopia. We can't wait for like everything to be solved in order to like delve into the this important structural work, these big changes. That has to happen right now. Like we're not going to get to some magical time when there's no violent crime. Yeah, well I would say it actually even differently. I would say one, it's not utopic to see what most communities look like where murders happen, you know, every decade or so, or once a year, right? That's not an abstraction. That's very real in tons of communities across this country. Yeah. Um, it's, it describes mostly the community I live in, but everything else that also describes this community is a community with tremendous economic resources, tremendous economic security, uh, a community where, where people have most of what You're talking about your, your suburb and, in New Jersey. Yeah, I'm talking about my suburb, but it's just it's just one of many, and that and they're not all suburbs. Sometimes they're even neighborhoods inside of cities, like your yeah. own, like like part parts, parts of Hyde Park, parts of yep. Chicago. Yeah, so so I think we have you know we have to work to demystify this notion that there is a way to invest in people and not policing. That we want to invest in the actual people. Because we know we have all the evidence we need to know that we're not doing a very good job yeah, of that, and we, and we need to we need to do it now. We need to do it now. We need to start. That's right. And as long as and as long as we think that this moment is unique, like no, 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 Khalil and Ben, this is this is such a crazy moment, a bullet flying yeah. everywhere that we just there's, need there's to solve always for this problem. Be, there's always going to be the violence. There's, there's, there's always, always going to be the crime right. that, that rattles people. That's yeah. right. You know, it, it, there's there's always going to be the worst case scenario that says, unfortunately, you know, we just have to do these things uh, and police are going to be the people who, who protect us. All right, my man. All right. Love you, man. I love you, too. Some of My Best Friends Are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keishel Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Leetal Molad and Mia LaBelle. Special thanks to Sophia King, my alderman, to Derricka Purnell, the author of Becoming Abolitionist, Police, Protest, and the Pursuit of Freedom, and to my state senator, Robert Peters, who also spoke to us for this episode. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan Avery R. Young from his amazing album, Tubman. You will definitely want to check out more of his music at his website, averyryoung.com. 
You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you love Some of My Best Friends Are and any of the other shows from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. If you like this show, please give it a five-star review. And please tell some of your best friends about it. Like, a lot of your best friends. All of your best friends. (laughs) All of your best friends. Now. Yeah, I mean, from as far as a lot of research goes, and this is my Ballywick. Right? Ballywick stuff that Ballywick. I learned at a policy school. That's right, Ballywick. New word of the day. Man, that's how people <laughs> is, talk at Harvard. Is that? Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Ballywick today. So, you know, no, no, that's my Ballywick. So, <laughs> all right, all right, we got it, we got it, we got it. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.